are so excited tonight to be able to bring to you somebody who is in one of my favorite movies. And we should say the genesis of this interview tonight. And when we say an interview, we're kind of just meeting a chat because we really don't have this, this format down as far as interviewing. But the last time that we were, the three of us were together, we brought up this great movie by director Joe Dante called The Burbs. And lo and behold, I think it was the same day that Netflix brought it back. And we probably spent 15 or 20 minutes talking about The Burbs. And in that conversation, I brought up, hey, you know what? I'm friendly with the, one of the cast members, Corey Danziger, who played Tom Hanks' son. At that point, it was game on. I am so thrilled, as I know Chris and Michael are, that we are now joined by really a, a guy that's in, you know, it's one of my top five, ten movies of all time, Corey Danziger. Corey, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Michael, Chris, Barry, this is a good good opportunity for me to uh, meet you on, on here formally. We, we were just Facebook friends, and, and now we know each other. Yeah, we do, too. And you know what? I was telling the boys as well. Uh, I've encountered a lot of people in the public eye, limelight, interviewed, I'll say a couple hundred celebrities on social media. You might be the friendliest, most gracious celebrity I have ever seen. And you and I have interacted several times in the Burbs. I think it's the Burbs is the greatest movie ever is the name of the Facebook group. But you are so active in this group. You're so friendly, so gracious uh, that I, I just I was so excited when you said I would love to do the podcast with you. So let's start off as we always do, Corey. How did you wind up in the entertainment industry? Well, you know, my mom was actually an, an actress and a model when she was a teenager. And so she knew how to get me into it. Um, but I was a kind of a gregarious, outgoing kid. And uh, one of my friends actually was an actor uh, when I was five or six years old. So I saw him on TV commercials and, and thought, you know, I could do this. I should do this. Mom, can I please do this? You know, and I begged my parents to let me do it. And, uh, and sure enough, my mom was able to find me a great agent and, uh, I started working almost immediately. Yeah. And it was uh, for me too, when you, when you look at it and you look at your resume, you were, you literally were just shot out of a cannon because your resume in those early days, you were in some heavy, heavy films. I mean, these were some big time movies there. I was really lucky. I, I, did get a shot to play the child and or the younger version of a lot of people early on. I had kind of a distinct look with curly hair. And so I played Billy Crystal as a kid and I played Neil Diamond as a kid and I played Sean Astin as a kid and um, obviously Tom Hanks's kid. And uh, so I was, that was kind of my specialty. Gotcha. And I see Michael's got his hand up. So Michael, you do have a question for Corey. I do. I like Barry. I'm a huge fan of the Burbs. It, it came out when I was ten, and I just thought it was such a fun, fun movie. And I'm curious, uh, what was working with Bruce Dern like? Wow. <laughs> yes, Bruce Dern is a lot like Rumsfeld character. He plays. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Uh, Love it. He's 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 incredibly uh, funny. Um, he's kind of tough and he's got a very, uh, kind of dry sense of humor. Um, the first time he met my dad, my dad came to the set and, and, uh, got, you know, I was walking him around and introducing him to, you know, Tom Hanks and different people, you know, this crew member and that crew member, Oh, this is Corey Feldman. You know, here's Carrie Fisher, dad. And everyone was shaking his hand and, uh, Bruce Dern kind of sat on the side and my dad was quiet for a minute and Bruce said, so you're, uh, you're Corey's dad, huh? My dad said, yeah, I'm Corey's dad. And Bruce said, he's a, he's a sneaky little son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, no, he's a sneaky bastard. You're a sneaky little bastard. That's what he said. Um, and that's kind of how Bruce is. I mean, he's just a funny kind of guy. And um, I enjoyed working with him so much. He was so nice and so funny. And um, it was just such a thrill. And now, you know, I look 
back and I go, oh my God, Bruce Dern is in all these incredible classic movies. Yep. And I got a shot to play with him and that was really cool. And it's amazing too, because Bruce Dern, I don't know, five, six years ago, I, I don't know the time frame. He was in The Hateful Eight, the Quentin Tarantino movie. And yeah. just what an incredible role. But when you consider the career that Bruce Dern has had, but to me, just incredible. Chris, you had a question as well, right? Well, I, I had a question. I kind of want to circle back to Corey talking about playing younger versions of people. So you mentioned Billy Crystal and Neil Diamond. Did, and this may just be the way Hollywood works. Did you get to meet them or did they have any part in casting you? Did you get any input from them or was it just kind of like a play it by ear type situation? Uh, you know, I did get to meet them. In fact, the scene that I was in on uh, a movie of the week for Neil Diamond, um, he was actually in the scene with the younger version of him. So I, I got to be in the scene with him. Um, and with Billy Crystal, uh, I met him at the premiere and then I would meet and get to know him a little later because I became friends with his daughter. Nice. Um, in, in high school. So um, he was extremely nice. What a sweet, generous, kind man. Just a nice dad. Great guy. I don't think I've so, ever yeah, heard I didn't, anybody. Sorry. I, I would get to know these people uh, when we were shooting. Um, but if not, you know, I ran into Sean Astin, uh, you know, several years after I had played him. Um, and I hadn't met him yet. Um, but I came up to him and said, you know, I played you as a kid in the Patty Duke story. And he was he was thrilled. That's awesome. That's okay. awesome. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say anything bad about Billy Crystal, though, like ever. But no, he's extraordinary. I have to tell you, though, everybody I I'm I, I'm a firm believer that the more successful these people are, the more gracious they become. I have not had a bad experience with somebody that is super successful. Um, I, you know, I hear stories that, you know, this person or that person a jerk or, you know, that kind of thing. But in my experience, the people that rise at the top in that particular industry and stay at the top, more importantly, the people that stay at the top for decades are really genuinely gracious people. And, and that would make sense too. It's, uh, you know, it, you look at guys like George Clooney, I think is a great example. And I, I was in Los Angeles uh, earlier this year. Um, I, I take that back because we're, we're only, we're still in January. So it was last year I was in Los Angeles. My, <laughs> yeah, at, at my age, Corey, this is what happens. You start to blend it all in and go, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I, George Clooney was, there is a restaurant in, in Hollywood right near the Cinerama Dome called Superba. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but I got to tell you, it was one of my favorite restaurants I've ever been to in my life. And George Clooney was at another table and the restaurant, it's right around the corner from the Netflix building, which I think is on Vine, if I'm correct. And uh, the, the restaurant appeared to be about 50% people in the industry, behind the scenes, et cetera. And then there's about, you know, the maybe 40% were out-of-towners. And the out-of-towners, you know, were just sitting there fixated on Clooney. And I was with my girlfriend, and, and we watched some fans go up to Clooney. And this is as he's eating in the middle of his meal, which I'm not a celebrity. I would get irritated if people were coming up and bugging me while I'm eating. And he was so gracious in the way that he handled everybody. So there's a lot of truth to what you said. With that also, and, and Michael brought up Bruce Dern, but what a cast. I mean, you worked with not just Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher, but look at that supporting cast as well. I mean, the great Dick Miller. And again, we're all Joe Dante fans. So you get Dick Miller and Robert Picardo uh, in the film. What was Corey Feldman like? Corey at that stage, and certainly he's gone off in a different direction the last 10, 20 years. But Corey was a very hot commodity in the 80s. Corey was fantastic. He was, of all the people I worked with, I was most starstruck by Corey. Uh, he was the biggest teen actor at the time. And he was so cool and so nice. 
And he knew that I thought he was so cool and didn't act like a jerk about it. He was just nice and made me feel, you know, like a fellow actor. I just, I adore Corey Feldman, always will. There's a reason why Corey, I've said this before, there's a reason why Corey's done 200 films, and that's because he's nice to be with. He's a nice guy to be in the set with. That's great. He, he definitely, uh, Definitely had, you know, some of probably the same experience as you did being a child actor. Did you guys get to relate on any of that? Did you ask him for any kind of advice or anything on how to navigate? You no, know, I don't think I really did. My dog is here. Hold on. Let me, let me, Sophie, I'm doing an interview real quick. Hold on. Um, <laughs> Corey, Corey, you know, what kind of, what kind of dog do you have? I've got a German Shepherd Pitbull mix. Very nice. Wow. Her, name, her name is Sophie. Her name is Sophie, and she's amazing. She's my best friend, and she's my sister. And uh, she was my parents' dog, and my parents passed away, so I now take care of her. Oh, my condolences. And, oh. Yeah, our oh, condolences. I'm an, I am a huge dog person. Uh, my best friend, his name is Ozzy. Ozzy is a little over nine years old. Both Michael and Chris have met Ozzy many times. Uh, yep. But uh, yeah, we, we love dog people. So uh, it's oh, thrilled that you love your dog that much. Good, good name too. Ozzy's a great Thank name. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I like <laughs> Sophie. So how old is she? Uh, she is 13 years old. Oh, wow. Ozzy, older but, woman for you. There you go. Yeah. She, I swear to God, she looks like she's six years old. Oh, that's great. It's all the love. All the love's keeping her young. I think so. I think so. Um, I apologize for the barking. No, Excuse it's me. absolutely it's, fine. It adds okay. it adds to the show, actually, when uh, when we can get that. So, Chris, did you have a question for, for Corey? Yes, actually. So, Corey, Michael and I are both big Star Trek fans. And looking through okay. your filmography... I see you were on an episode of Next Generation. So I went back and watched it. How was that experience? Were you were you a Trekkie before that? Did that change your mind? Have you done any of the conventions over the years? I mean, you know, I, I've done a lot of, uh, I've done several conventions, but not Star Trek conventions. Um, I did Beauty and the Beast conventions, which um, I was on that show for a couple of years. And, and uh, the Star Trek experience, was extremely cool. I was not a Trekkie, but once they put you in that uniform, you suddenly get kind of uh, struck with how much of, 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 of history you're now a part of um, in terms of, you know, kind of television history. Um, and so I was, I was kind of in awe with the whole experience. Um, I got a, a real shot to kind of work with quite a bit of the cast on that episode. And um, it was it was a great cast. It was a happy set. Everybody was enjoying working and enjoying being on the show. It was great. You you were in one of the episodes with Brent Spiner playing three different roles, and that's uh, those are some of my favorites because Brent is just incredibly versatile in anything he does. Yeah, he, he's incredible. He was so cool too. So nice. That's awesome. That that makes me happy to hear. I've not met him yet. I've come across all these other star trek actors at conventions he's on my list of people i'd like to meet that that makes me happy to hear yeah he's fantastic yeah so i, I i'm gonna get back to the burbs uh just because we all love the movie and and i'm sure that uh in Corey, you're always always so gracious and uh in sharing information and behind the scenes stuff but one of the questions i have to ask you is uh your relationship and partnership with bootsy collins in funk university i mean if that's not the coolest fucking thing i've ever heard right guys that, yeah. it, that, that's pretty much it right there. What can you tell us about that? And what kind of Bootsy Collins stories do you have? So I own a company, I co-own a company with a great artist named Robbie Dosage. Uh, we have been working together for almost 20 years. It's our 19th anniversary. And I'm a conceptual artist. I come up with concepts and my partner is an artist and, and pairs up and works together with uh musicians that's what we focus on is, is create creative platforms and creative art with musicians i i had a morning that i woke up one day and the first thing in my head was the word funk you or the you know the, the, <laughs> the, 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 funk you. and i thought 
why doesn't Bootsy have a school called Funk You? Like, I mean, he would, he would be a logical choice. And I started thinking about it. I was like, okay, so this is a school. What are they going to teach? Well, they're going to teach funk. And then I thought more on it. And I started thinking about the fact that Bootsy's this well-accomplished bass player. Uh, well, they're going to teach funk bass. And uh, we have an A&R gentleman that worked with us at the time who would go with the concepts and approach the musicians to say, hey, listen, this creative company has an idea. Would you be interested in meeting with them? We met with Bootsy. We pitched the idea of putting together this online school. He said, of course, let's do it. And uh, for the next three or four years, we had the school called Funk You online <laughs> with students from around the world learning how to play advanced funk bass. And what was he like? What what was Bootsy like though? Is because uh, yeah, he I know that he could be uh, and I saw Bootsy in in New York City probably twenty five or thirty years ago, uh, but you know very uh, eclectic, but had an aura about him. What was he like on a on a personal level? He is Bootsy. He is you know he's really what you see. Um, he's nice, funny, charming. Um, he makes everybody feel good. He makes everybody feel funky. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he really brings out the best in people. And this is another example of what I was talking about with kind of the guys that last 30, 40, 50 years like Bootsy. There's a reason why they're here and they're still here and people want to work with them. And that's because he's a pleasure to work with. He's smart and funny and sharp and he shows up on time and he was the best, the best. I had the best experience working with him. So you're saying literally he brings the funk. He is the funk. <laughs> he is the funk, is, even better. He, he's the funk. He is the funk. Gotcha. Water. Michael. Uh, looking through your uh, IMDb page, I saw you did a pilot for a television version of a very underrated 80s movie married to the mob had you seen the movie at all beforehand i had and i loved the movie as a kid um so i auditioned and got the role of uh the kid on the show and um that was a really it was a cool experience i got to work with richard romanus do you know richard yeah. romanus yeah um yeah. and he was really uh He's, he's just a terrific actor. And later on, I, you know, discovered Mean Streets. So I got to, uh, I got to really appreciate it after the fact that I was working with one of the Scorsese cast guys, you know? That's great. Yeah, Chris, did you have a question? Yes. So actually, we've been talking about the birds. I didn't mention my wife had never seen it. So about 10 minutes before we got on the call, we just finished it. So I got another viewing of it in. Incredible. Um, so I went on the IMDb page. Can you confirm or deny the story that Tom Hanks was giving out sunglasses because he enjoyed working on the movie so much? You know, I don't know. I don't remember that. Okay. Um, I know that, that he enjoyed working on the movie. I know that everybody had a great time on this film. Um, it was a, during the summer and we had a a real uh, a swell time on the street. We were outside most of the time um, and no one else was working on the universal lot at the time. So we had the whole lot to ourselves. And um, I can tell you that when the burbs finished, uh, Tom Carey and Joe Dante rented out Raging Waters and we had the cast party at Raging Waters. Oh, that's, oh, that's cool. awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it was the rap part, the whole cast and crew. It was oh, that's awesome. Families, and it was so much fun. Oh, that's, that's great. So that that was my that was really my next question. As I've watched the Burbs, and I'm going to assume I've seen it somewhere uh, around 50, 60 times at this point. I was wondering because it doesn't look like a set, but the fact it, it had to be a set. So that that did take place on the back lot at Universal. It did. There's a street called. Uh, they changed the name. There's two different names for it. I know the one name that we used was Mayfield Place. 
Um, but uh, there's this cul-de-sac that Leave it to Beaver was filmed on that uh, Housewives, oh, wow. the, uh, one of those Housewives shows. Um, uh, it, also, the Monsters was on that street. So this is like the, the their suburban cul-de-sac street. And the Burbs <laughs> was, was used for that street as well. Wow. The same street as Leave it to Beaver. If the movie couldn't get any better in my eyes, Corey, it just got better, right? Like that's that's unbelievable too. Uh, did you? And so, and before I toss this over to Michael too, which Michael's raising his hand right now, going, "I got a question, I got a question." But Michael, hold on one second. Had did you know who Gail Gordon was before you started filming the movie? I did. I was a big I Love Lucy fan. Okay. So I did was and and I I thought he was really cool i you know he worked with lucy and that was to me that was just top of the top of the food chain it's gail gordon it's uh i mean for me too as i watch it and i'm going oh my god that's gail gordon in the but i i'm with you i've seen every episode of lucy and that just to me was was so cool so with that how was queenie by the way did queenie really poop everywhere (laughs) queenie did not poop everywhere queenie was wonderful we had a dog wrangler that dealt with Queenie and a dog wrangler that dealt with my dog on the set and we got to play with the dogs all the time it was it was this it was almost like summer camp uh we would shoot a little bit but mostly we would be hanging out on the cul-de-sac Tom Hanks and I used to throw a baseball every day down the the street um you know it was it was a lot like going to camp it was really fun the dogs were around at some point uh, we had um, the the animal wrangler was also watching Michael Jackson's chimp Bubbles, and so Bubbles would show up to the set, and we got to play with a monkey, you know, or they said chimpanzee, a chimp. Um, it was, Is there a difference? It was like a dream. Is there a difference between a monkey and a chimp? I don't know. Does anybody know that answer? I'm not sure. Nobody knows. Okay, mm-hmm. nobody knows that answer. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I, I never had an idea. Would it be any different or anything like that? Uh, so you're making movies, you're on television, you're, you're really, you're, you know, but you're still a young man. What was it like as you entered into your teens with the ladies? Were you the most popular kid in school? Were the women just throwing, the, or gr- women, were the girls throwing themselves at your feet, Corey? Uh, it didn't hurt. (laughs) 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 Uh, No, I mean, not really. No. Um, I was just a normal teenager. I didn't, um, I didn't talk a lot about the acting side of my life and I don't think anyone really gave a shit to be honest with you. I mean, we were, I was a rock and roll kid, so I was busy playing rock and roll music and I had a band in high school and that was where my focus was. I wasn't even terribly interested in dating when I was a teenager. I was, I was more focused in on the music. Gotcha. Chris, you had a question. So since, since you're talking about music and you strike me as the guy that's all over the place, you have like a favorite genre, like favorite, like band album. Oh yeah. I'm I'm a huge Van Halen fan. Um, I'm into hard rock. Uh, Obviously my business scene four focuses solely on creative projects and creative art with musicians. So it's what I'm doing all day long and kind of who we're mingling with and working with all day long. Do you have a preference between Sammy or David Lee Roth Van Halen? Oh, I mean, I'm a David Lee Roth guy, but my man. Sammy. Yeah. Sammy stuff is great though. Hey, look, it's a different band with Sammy. Yeah. It's still good. It's like, it's like pizza. I mean, even when it's bad, it's good. You enjoy well, pineapple yeah. pizza? Yeah. I'm a pizza snob, so it's that that always gets a little touchy. But I'll tell you the funny thing, I didn't appreciate Sammy when he was in Van Halen at the time, the time it was actually happening. And I, I was always a David Lee Roth guy. Go back to the original. But in later years, true appreciation for Sammy because uh he really brought something great to that band. Uh 
you know, I was such a huge fan. I love the fact too, that, you know, you, you've done so much in the entertainment industry. You're obviously a very successful actor, conceptual artist, you're a writer and you have scene four. Tell us a little bit more about scene four. So scene four is really known for one type of art that we, we started doing about 10 years ago and it, it took off. We have a collectorship that is worldwide. Um, and that is we pair with drummers. We work with drummers uh, and we create abstract artwork, fine artwork on canvas of their drum performances. So they're using drumsticks that light. We capture their performances and the trails that they make as they play become fine artwork. That is really, really cool. fascinating. Yeah. So and, it, uh, it's a the world. We have, you know, even museums now are, are starting to bring it in and show it, you know, in exhibits and stuff. We just finished an exhibit uh, in New York City at the National Museum of Mathematics, I believe. Um, you know, it's just it's it's taken off after 10 years. It's really starting to really catch on in, in terms of galleries and, and the museum world as well. Well, that's very exciting, too. And uh, and so you wrote a book uh, going back a couple of years. Looks like it was released during the pandemic, which is really I think that's the best time to release a book. Right, boys. That would seem to make a lot of sense. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. And the book is called and I love the title Shit I Know For Sure. Uh, and it's basically, you know, your 30 plus years working within the entertainment industry. Tell us a little bit about the book and then please tell us how we can also get a copy. Okay, so the book is available exclusively through my website, which is CoreyDanziger.com. Um, all the profits from the, actually, all the profits from the book entirely go to charity. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's, during the pandemic, I was having a really hard time immediately. Um, I was really sad and I, I wasn't obviously creating art with Ravi and we were just kind of stuck at home. And um, I just started writing different lessons that I've kind of learned. And every day I would write a different lesson, you know, as, some things as simple as um, uh, uh, keep a notepad with you or make lists. And some of the lessons I learned along the way made it to the book and some didn't um and the fortunately the lessons that are in the book are a lot better than keep a list but um they, they uh this you know over the course of a year i i created all these different chapters and then i finally picked the best chapters and the best chapters are mostly about my childhood acting actually the lessons i learned on set um the lessons i learned about manifesting um so the book is it's a, it's a fun read and it's, it's not a long read. It's, I think it's about a hundred pages. That's right. <laughs> somebody, uh, somebody hitting a bong as we're recording. What's, what's that sound? <laughs> like a water bong. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. Sorry. That's, that's, that's me looking for a bottle for my son. For you your, you're feeding outside. the baby. That's awesome. That's awesome. Michael, you got a question. Yeah, I do. Uh, Corey, you said you, you guys work kind of exclusively with drummers. Is there a drummer from the past that you wish you would have had a chance to work with? Someone that you just yes. really appreciated their, their work? Yes, I would have loved to work with Neil Peart. Oh, I would have loved to work with that. <laughs> Great answer. Great answer. Yeah. But you look um, at the, we, the we, list of people you worked with, too, Corey. Chad Smith, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Stephen Adler, Guns N' Roses. These are some heavy hitters here. We have worked with about 50 drummers, and they're all heavy hitters. They're incredibly – we have an incredibly diverse and good group of drummers that are making art with this. Um, some of them have created three, four collections. Chad Smith has, I think, created about 250 pieces of art with us. Nice. Wow. Wow. And you can follow Scene 4 Art on Facebook. They have a Facebook page. Yeah, we should say, we, too. We if Facebook, but, but you go to scene4.com, which is S-C-E-N-E-F-O-U-R.com, and that's where you can see everything. Yep, and you can also check out Corey's website, which is www.coreydanziger.com, and you can also order a copy of his book. I believe it is 1995, Corey. Is that correct? 
Yes, sir. And you will get an autographed. It'll be an autographed copy. Uh, and I got to say, Corey, you again, I, I'm, I'm blowing smoke a little bit right now, but you you sent an autographed photo to a fan that's in the group. And it was just I think you made that guy's like month or year. Uh, that was one of the greatest autographs I've ever seen. And uh, of course, you know, my favorite line, Ricky Butler, right? Ricky Butler says so. So, of course, but uh, we encourage all of our listeners, everybody listening, please visit www.coreydanziger.com. Get a copy of the book. He will autograph it for you. And I'm sure, you know, it, it, you want to know about the entertainment industry and want to know about what it's like, uh, especially for a child actor, which can be rough on a lot of kids. Uh, obviously, for you, Corey, Corey, everything turned out extremely well. Uh, but this this to me sounds like a book that I have to order tonight. Uh, so a couple other questions, too, is you worked with Charles Grodin and Beethoven. And uh, first off, I love the movie Beethoven. I love anything with dogs, which we've already established. But Charles Grodin, to me, is one of the most dead was one of the most deadpan funny actors I think I ever saw. And his turn in Midnight Run with Robert De Niro I think is maybe one of the great performances of all time. What was Charles Grodin like in real life? You know, I never met him, oddly. I, I The scenes that I did were with the dog. And and uh, so I never got a shot to meet him. But I he's one of my, my favorite actors as well. He's brilliant. Yeah, he definitely was brilliant. I was so saddened to see when he passed away a couple of years back. And uh, much like the Burbs, and it's funny because I, I think with the Burbs, I go back to it and uh, I don't know if it made this huge impression on me from the get-go. And then over the years, it absolutely did. And I, I think if I looked at my top 20 films, I would imagine almost all of them fall into the genre of a cult film. And whether it's The Burbs, The Big Lebowski, Repo Man, uh, Night of the Comet, all these movies I seem to like all seem to gravitate and be classified as a cult film. In your opinion, what do you see a cult film as? You know, a cult film is a film where 20 years, 30 years after it's released, a new audience is discovering it and embracing it. And, uh, you know, for the first 10 years after the Burbs, I never heard about it any, anywhere. No one ever talked about it. And, you know, about 20 years after it was it was released, suddenly I'd start getting requests for signing this or signing that. And and now I'm signing stuff every every week. I'm sending out, you know, a signed poster from this guy or uh, these headshots that Universal gave us. Um, when we finished the film, Universal handed us a, a headshot. And essentially, this is what we we're using to sign autographs for the film and it's 30 years later. So that's a cult film. Wow. Chris, did you have a question? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to preface this a little bit here. So Barry is part and Barry is part of a podcast. He's, he has his own podcast. I'm trying to think how to best phrase it. Maybe Barry can take it and explain it. And then I'll ask the question. <laughs> Okay, so yes, I can explain it. So I I am a part of this podcast, but I drop in because uh, these two guys are as close as brothers to me. And as I always call Chris is my nephew, right? But uh, I have been a part of a very successful podcast the last almost six years, uh, over 10,000 listeners called Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. I am the less talented of two of the two, which is why my name comes second. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. But Chris, where were you going with that? So one of the popular, there are a couple different popular questions that are always brought up in this group. Now they talk about movies, wrestling, everything you can think of in this group. And also in the group that, you know, in the podcast that we're doing right now, we cover a lot of different topics. So one of the popular questions is, and it's a popular question among the three of us is, do you like pineapple in your pizza? <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Oh, Corey. This is a question. He, he, he has become one of my new favorite people now just for this. This is the best interview ever. It is. Uh, that is a, it is, you would imagine, we have two questions and I know, Michael, do you want to bring up the other one? Because I know that, so we've already got Corey is 50%, does not like pineapple on, Corey, do you like pineapple though? 
I do like pineapple, but not on my pizza. That boy, I'll okay. tell you, it's like we're like twin twin brothers here. Michael, why don't you ask the next question, which I know what it is. Well, the, one of the other big debates we have back and forth. <laughs> do you do you consider Die Hard a Christmas movie? Oh, that's a good question. I do. Oh, yes, Corey. <laughs> So we're going to change the name of the podcast now, and we're just going to call it the Corey Danziger uh, experience because those two <laughs> questions you have just nailed. Uh, yes. yes, we are absolutely thrilled with that. And we, uh, we staunchly defend that pineapple does not belong pizza. And of course, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. So talking about food and films, Corey, born and raised in Los Angeles too, and you've got some, some of the best restaurants in the country, but you've had them for years. Tell us what you think about In-N-Out Burger. Big fan of In-N-Out. I'm a big oh. fan of Animal Style, the double-double. Oh, you guys have this as well? Oh, we, we don't. So we're, we're all on the East Coast, and In-N-Out just announced about three weeks ago that they're opening up their first East, Lowe's, East Coast location in uh, right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. So if we want In-N-Out, it's my trips to L.A. or Phoenix or even Texas, but we don't get it. But you said animal style. That, that tells me you 100% know what you're talking about, sir. Oh, it's 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 a religion out in Los Angeles. In and out is, is our. Well, you guys have some good some good burger places too, though. Um, do you have uh, what a burger? So we do. What a burger is sporadic. The the closest one to me, not not that it's close, but I spend about half my time in Florida, and there's one in Jacksonville, and I like what a burger. And a lot of people will say, uh, "Oh, what a burger is better than In and Out." I don't find that, but I do like what a burger. There was an article that came out. Uh, and it was by a guy, and I want to say he wrote for one of the Los Angeles indie newspapers. It might have been Downtown LA, I think it's called. And yeah, he wrote an article, and he ranked three burger chains. I guess they're all right near each other, and he was able to go from one to the next, In-N-Out Burger, Five Guys, and Shake Shack. And in, in, in order of his favorite, he put Shake Shack, in and out and five guys. And I don't I don't really agree with that to be honest with you. Shake Shack does not compare to five guys or in and out. Just whoever Yeah, this this guy is a he's a mole. He's working for uh <laughs> for Shake Shack. <laughs> yeah. What about Philippe's? I know that you've gotten the French dip. I sure have. Have you had the French dip yet? I have had the French dip. My God, is that amazing or what? It's so good. It's so good. It makes life worth living. It's just that good. Yeah. And I had mentioned uh, Superba earlier, which I discovered. I, I wound up hitting that location twice. I think there are three or four locations. Another stop, two other places I always hit when I'm out in L.A. One is Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. Mm, good one. Yeah. And I always go to Tommy's so I can get a chili burger. And I know, it, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But at the same time, you really can't get chili burgers uh, in my area up on the East Coast. So I always stop at, at Tommy's and, uh, and go out there. So living in L.A., what's your favorite movie theater? You know, I'm not a big movie fan. Um, I, I, oddly, I studied uh, filmmaking in school, and obviously I, I was acting as well. Um, I majored, actually, in film at, at, in college. Um, but I kind of have burnt out of movies. Um, when I have to go to a movie theater, though, I, you know, I, I prefer to go to one with the comfy seats. So there's some AMCs around here that, that have great seating. Cinerama Dome is also something, if you visit L.A., you got to see a film at Cinerama Dome. Yeah, and it's, it's, uh, it breaks my heart. Cinerama Dome. So I lived out in L.A. Uh, in 1985 is when I moved out there. I moved out from... Uh, North Miami Beach, Florida. I didn't want too much of a weather adjustment. So I head west, uh, spent a couple of years out there, but I lived not too far from the Cinerama Dome. And it was when it was the old days when it was really just the, the one movie theater that was showing everything in Cinerama. Uh, over the years, I know it became a multiplex and I want to say it was uh, Arclight that I think owned it, but they closed up during the pandemic 
uh, and they have not reopened, but there is a rumor that they're going to be opening up soon. I think they have new owners or something like that. Have you ever been to Quentin Tarantino's movie theater? I thought that was still under construction. I know he was making some changes to it. Have they opened it up again? I think so. It's the new Beverly Cinema, uh, which I think is uh, in the Wilshire area, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, but he's I know he's got a couple that he was looking at one downtown and then his name was actually thrown into the mix for the Cinerama Dome as well. Uh, you know, and for me, I'm super appreciative that Tarantino is saving some of these theaters. Uh but yeah, there, there's just, there's some great theaters. When I first lived in LA, again, going back to 85, you were just a kid. There were so many great movie theaters in Hollywood too, up and down Hollywood Boulevard, uh, just all these great old theaters that had been there. And unfortunately, I think they're all shuttered up now. Uh, Michael, you've got your hand raised. Do you have a question for Corey? I do. Um, since we're fairly in the, in the same age range, um, you did a guest spot on who's the boss. And I think a lot of guys in our, our age group had a, a certain fascination with Alyssa Milano. Did you get to work yeah. with her at all in that episode? Did, were you, if you did, were you in awe or kind of, sh- kind of struck I by her as it's kind of the it girl? Oh boy. Was I? Yeah. She was something <laughs> Um, yes. And, and, uh, I, I wasn't acting with her in the scenes that I had. I was actually, uh, in working with Tony, but, um, she was so sweet and so nice on the set and that, you know, I spent a week there. So, um, I got to kind of hang out with her a little bit and, um, she actually, and I share a very close friend now, and she's re- apparently very, very cool as an adult. I, I don't know her, um, as an adult, but, Apparently she she's really cool. She's very close with one of my good friends. That's great. Uh, did you, oh, from sorry, what I read in the episode, I'm sorry, Barry. Uh, did you work with Catherine Helmond at all? I did. Mona in, in one of the also with Catherine, and she was she was cool too. She's funny, very funny lady. Yeah, she just always struck me as one of those. I, not necessarily Hollywood royalty, but just someone who had been in the business and carried herself in a certain way for so long that, that that's good to hear. Yeah. I actually, I got a, speaking of royalty, I got the opportunity to get to know Betty White when I was growing up. Wow. Eating and the Beast was shot on the same, uh, same studio, a small studio called Renmar. Um, it was shot in the same studio as Golden Girls. And so I was on this show for a couple of years and the Golden Girls were on the, you know, and the next stage over was the Golden Girls. So those old ladies were around the set all the time and I loved them. They were so nice and sweet. And as a little kid, I loved older people and they, they seemed just so grandma-y and they were just, they were awesome. So I did get a chance to know Betty. So, so pretty That's much what you, saw in the sh- what you saw in the show was what you got in real life. Totally. As sweet as the sweetest lady. They were all nice. All of them. Yeah. So once again, if you are just joining us, we are joined by actor. He's kind of a raconteur at this point because he's a conceptual artist. Uh, He's a writer. He's one half of scene four. Corey Danziger, we know him best as uh, as an actor in movies like The Burbs, uh, Star Trek, Married to the Mob. Quite the resume right there. Uh, we also encourage you to visit his website, which is, it's first off, fantastic job with the website, uh, www.coreydanziger.com. Uh, you can also order a copy of his book, which really has the best title of, of any book I've ever heard. Shit, I know for sure. He will autograph and sign a copy. Corey, when it's all said and done, what do you want people to remember you by? That's a good question. You know, I think uh, it would be nice to feel like I served uh, people. I, you know, I think that's why we're here is to serve, you know, whether it's uh, serving art to people that want art in their lives or whether it's serving entertainment through the stuff that we did with acting. And 
Um, whether it's signing, you know, headshots, I, I just like to serve. So I, I would love it if people remembered me as somebody that served. And that is, uh, that kind of goes in line with your attitude when I see you on social media. You just, again, gracious, friendly, and uh, approachable, which is, uh, I think, a, a very, very key word. And uh, yeah, which again was the reason I think I reached out to you. I have reached out, this may surprise you or not, I've reached out to several celebrities that uh, literally <laughs> aren't always friendly or sometimes even give you the time of day. And others are Marsha Warfield, who uh, Roz from Night Court uh, we had on the podcast. Right. And she was just a blast and a lot Incredible. of fun to hang out with. I, I really enjoyed the time with her. Uh, what do you what do you think has been the highlight of your career? And this can be anything, whether it's you know your acting or the conceptual art. What do, what do you see at this stage of your life? Would you say, from a, a career standpoint, has been the true highlight for you? You know, the true highlight was actually working uh, as a kid because I got to work with my mom, oh. um, meaning oh. she was with me, and it was really nice to be able to to be with her so much, especially now that she's gone. So when I think back on everything, uh, I'm most grateful for the fact that I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with her. Yeah, that's actually, uh, would, would, would we know your mom by name? Uh, no, but, but, okay. but, but you should. She's pretty awesome. There you uh, go. Her name, yeah. <laughs> her name is, her name was Carol Danziger. Carol Danziger. Okay. That's obviously something we're going to look uh, for next. Yeah. Chris, did you have a question for Corey? So first, first off, y'all talking about what you're doing in 1985. I was busy being born in 1985. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, 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 I'm a little younger, but you know, it's, it's great hearing about this kind of stuff. Corey, is there, looking back on your career, you know, in, in Hollywood, was there, I know we talked about musicians you wanted to work with. Is there ever an actor, if you could go back in time and work with one guy during the course of your Hollywood career, anybody, I'm talking, even if they, you know, weren't around, anybody you could work with, who would it be? You know, uh, my favorite actor is an odd one. It's Mickey, Mickey Rourke. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, I, I would love to have worked with Mickey Rourke. I, I um Pope of Greenwich Village, I thought he was so great. Oh, the bed um, bug took my thumb. The bed <laughs> bug took my thumb. I love that movie. He was fantastic. So was Eric Roberts, though. Pope of Greenwich Village uh, is yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Mick, Mickey Work is awesome. He's, he's one of those actors, I think he's gotten cooler the older he's gotten. Yeah. Although I just saw some photos of him and, um, his uh he looks like he, he he's getting older i mean he just looks like an older man now it's it was kind of it's interesting you know it, it these guys that were 40 years old in the 90s are now 70 years old which is weird yeah michael have you ever seen the pope of greenwich village I have not, but I will add it to my list. I was going to yes, say, put that definitely. put that on your list. Michael is very good. Michael being the baby of the group, right? But Michael, uh, I no, actually Chris no, is the baby, right? I, Chris is the baby. Yeah. Uh, the Pope of Greenwich Village made such an impression on me when it came out in 1984. I was living in New York City at the time that I actually went out. I bought the wife beater T-shirts with a jacket that you would wear over it just to copy the Mickey Rourke look from the movie. Um, Were you a server yeah. manager? I was a server at that time. <laughs> yes. I had not flipped over to manager. But I will tell you, I was also, I bought the soundtrack and I fucking played Summer Wind by Frank Sinatra 24 hours a day, which is, is from that movie. That is an excellent, excellent movie, Corey. Yes. You have good taste. You have good taste, Barry. Yeah, our tastes are matching up here between food, music, movies. I feel that there's a relationship. We're becoming best friends, and that's there's that's the key with this. What when you say? come out to when you or Michael or Chris come out to LA, let me know when you're going to be here, and I'll, I'll meet you for dinner. Absolutely, well, and that'd be uh, fantastic. I'm I'm hopeful yeah. to be out there in May, and I can tell you, In and Out Burger on me, Corey. Okay, that's a deal. That's a deal. Perfect. 
gents, any any more questions for our new best friend? I, I do um, have one. I, in, in reading through some of the trivia about the burbs, I noticed it said in the, the scene where you're eating breakfast at the table, uh, it mentions that there is a box of Gremlin cereal in the background of the shot. Did yeah. Do you know, were there any other kind of Easter egg type things that Joe Dante put in the burbs from some of his other work? Because I'm going to have stuff. to go back and watch specifically to see that. A ton of stuff. There's a lot of hidden stuff in the burbs. Um, a lot of hidden stuff. It's it's a puzzle. If you watch it, you're going to have to watch it a couple times, but there's some great stuff. I know there's a noose in one of the scenes in the background uh, in the Klopex house. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to give you I'm not gonna give away, but there's some great <laughs> stuff to find. So on that note, uh, and I can't believe that as we're starting to near the end of our of our chat, this will be the first time. How was Brother Theodore on set? <laughs> wow, so so interesting. He's just exactly like he is. In film. I mean, he's that's he that's the way he talks. Oh yeah, he was. So he was a fixture on David Letterman for years. And when I moved to New York, which was somewhere in 83, he was doing his one man stage show. And you're you're 100 percent correct, Corey. That is exactly check. That is exactly the way that brother. There was no difference between what I saw in the movie on stage when he came out of the theater to sign autographs or whatever at the end of the night. This was the guy. He was so unique. And you had Henry Gibson and Courtney Gaines. Right. Uh Played the third, the younger. Yeah, he's amazing in the movie. I just watched the movie not that long ago, and I was so impressed with how good Courtney Gaines is. He's so good. Yeah. Bruce Bruce Stern interrogating, what's in the basement hair? That is probably my favorite line from that movie. <laughs> that never fails to pop me any time I see it. Yeah, there's there's so many great lines. And to Corey's point, when he was talking, we were talking about cult films earlier. I think a great cult film also has a lot of great, great quotable lines to it. Uh, like I think the big Lebowski also is, you know, I could sit here and talk about Lebowski for four hours. So I think that's great. Corey, we truly appreciate you taking the time. Uh, this episode will be dropping shortly. I'm going to send you uh, the link. I will post it in the Burbs group. And as I said, if I'm out there in May, which at this point I am planning, I am going to reach out to you. Lunch, dinner on me. Uh, I, I got to say one other thing. You are... Uh, your relationship with your girlfriend and how you treat her publicly is inspiring. You say the nicest, sweetest things about your oh, girlfriend. You. And I was with my girlfriend last night or the night before, and we were looking at your Facebook page and she said, she just, she held on to me and she goes, wow, he really loves his girlfriend. I just thought that was uh, so nice. Yeah, that is nice. Guys, I had a great time. This was a lot of fun. You guys are funny. Thank you. <laughs> we tried. Thank you. We tried. Thank, but, you, yeah. Thank you, Corey. Thanks, and guys. we will be in touch. And please know if, if uh, you know, you've got anything going on and you want to come out and promote, we are always here for you, my man. Absolutely. I do appreciate it. And I'll see you guys in Los Angeles. You take good care. Thanks, partner. Thanks, Corey. You too, bud. Thank you. Bye-bye.